The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Hey, bad bitches wanna be my bait. Hey, hold me down like the CIA. Politics made simple for the everyday millennial and why you should give a damn. My name is Siobhan Starling. I hope everybody is great. Everybody's in the kingdom. Everybody's doing well. I'm doing pretty okay myself. I would like to introduce a guest that I have on here today. His name is Jay Colby and he is the founder of Black Detour. And he's on my podcast this week. Hey, Jay. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm great. Great. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for being here this week. And as always, you all know, I like to start my show off with some disclaimers. One, I curse. You will see a curse word come out or two. Two, English may be my first language, but I will mess it up. So bear with me. Three. We won't see eye to eye, but we can at least respect each other and still have a conversation. Four, I am in the kingdom. That is my qualifications for speaking with you all today. And five, by the time you hear this, things may change. The world could blow up. Anything is liable to happen. So just keep that in mind when you listen. So. I want to get into speaking to my guest on today. Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, like, where are you from? How did you start Black Detour and everything of that nature? Okay, well, thank you for having me on the show once again. And, well, I'm Jay Kobe. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And the Black Detour is simply just a platform created for Black people to be able to express themselves and to have the open dialogue about certain issues that's going on in our community that we always don't talk about on a regular basis that we need to focus on and bring to, you know, bring to the head of our mind. Because a lot of times we don't focus on these issues. We kind of, especially when it comes to social media and online, we like to have fun and it's a, it's a time for, you know, just to relax. But we also got to focus on the issues that's going on in our community. And how did you get the idea? Like, were you just sitting there thinking one day in the bed one day and be like, I'm about to start my own platform? Like, how did that come about? Well, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in some form. Didn't know how that was going to take out in my life. But I was working for a couple of media companies at the time. And I just felt like my voice wasn't being heard. So I wanted to create a platform where I could express myself freely and have an opportunity to, you know, you know, express myself about views in the black community, about different, you know, things that's going on in our community and just, you know, put that out there to the world. I don't want to, like, give out, like, your whole, like, information and stuff like that, but as we were talking um, prior to this, you mentioned that you were significantly young. Not saying that we don't see people in our generation take strides and efforts to start their own platforms, but it is something that, you know, you don't really see, especially in this day and age, because millennials have a stigma. They want instant gratification that genuinely we're lazy and we don't start anything. Now, we Mm -hmm. know that that may not be true, but Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to know that you are significantly young and you did start this. And do you feel like a certain kind of pressure 
is on you because you're so young and you're basically competing with other platforms that have been in the game for a little minute and with people who are older. Does that make a difference for you? No, I wouldn't say I was competing because I feel like I'm following in my purpose. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I don't feel like I was competing against anybody else. We're just doing what the Black Detail. We're focusing on the Black Detail. We wouldn't worry about what another platform is doing. You know, appreciate their work, but we're focusing on what we're doing over here. So we're unique and different from any other platform you probably would see. So what makes you different? What makes Black Detour different? I feel like the Black Detour is different because we not only just put out news and articles, but we challenge Black people. We don't just let you, you know, we don't just only just put out, well, you know, commentary and different things like that, but we challenge you with questions to make your mind expand your mindset and expand your thought process when it comes to Black people and the issues that we face. And so... That's why I feel like we're different than a lot of other people because we challenge you. We don't just, oh, just, you know, patronize you and just tell you things that you want to hear. We tell you stuff you won't like. You'll be very upset. A lot of people do be upset often, oftentimes. But that's, that's the reason we created it. Not just to patronize each other, but to challenge. Okay. I think that is a very good thing to know because especially what I like to do on here anyway is to have that conversation. I welcome people who have different views than me. That makes for an interesting conversation. And life isn't just about yes people. You also have the people who tell you no. People who, and those are the type of people that I feel will drive you to do what you do. And I think that it's important to have those conversations that don't necessarily agree with what that person is saying. So I think that's excellent that you all have that counterpoint as well. How did you get your team together for Black Detour? Because I know it's not just you, right? Yeah, so basically I started reaching out to people on social media and different platforms like LinkedIn and other, you know, websites where you can find people of like mind. So I wanted to find people who's interested in the similar, you know, topics that we was going to discuss and just interested in, you know, discussing topics in the black community. So I, I reached out to several people all across the country, you know, and then they just became part of the thing. Really, it's kind of simple, but it was a hard process than it seems because it was a lot of no's. Most, I would say majority of people I reached out to told me no. And still telling me no to this day. So it's just a process of finding the right people to figure out, you know, who's the right fit here and who can, you know, you know, follow our vision. I also think that's very important to say uh, when you're telling your story because you're not always going to get a yes. And I also think oh, yeah. that in our generation, uh, specifically, we're used to instant gratification. We're used to people like being instantly famous or instantly this. I don't think that people realize that there is work behind getting oh, something yeah. established. And you're going to hear a lot of no's to get to majority. where you're at. Majority no. Yeah, majority no. Like, it will be once in a blue moon when you get that, yes, I believe uh -huh. in you. I believe in your vision. So I think that is um, great to say, yeah, I heard some no's. Oh, yeah, definitely. So nobody in your team is in Texas, right? You're like the only one. Everybody else is like nationwide. Yes. 
That is awesome. And what do you want people to take away from Black Detour? So as you're doing your mission, as you're doing your life work and putting your heart and soul into this, what do you expect people to get away from? And although you're targeting the Black community, do you also think that you could target another community based off of this mission? Well, to answer your first question, the Black Detour mission is just to not only empower the Black community, but to inform us on different things and, and to teach us certain things. Because we also uh, publish a lot of articles about history that's unknown, that's not taught in school, that a lot of times you don't, you wouldn't hear about. So we just want to spread those messages and those stories so Black people can know that our history doesn't just start and end with slavery. You know, we have a broad history. We have a, a lot of beautiful stories that happen that's not told in the mainstream, that's not talked about often enough. So that's also what you can take away from the Black Detour. And to your second question, saying, will we reach out to other communities? And yes, we've thought about that in the past, other minority communities. But for right now, we just want to focus on the Black community and focus on us first. Because sometimes we don't always focus on us. We always trying to save everybody. But sometimes you got to fix yourself before you can save anybody else. This is true. This is true. <laughs> I can say it. We do it a lot. We do it a lot of saving of other people. And it goes into a conversation that I had on social media. Well, I pointed the question, which we'll get into later. But it goes into a lot of this. We are quick to educate other people about other things, but we don't educate ourselves. And we don't, like, focus in-house. I think together as a community, we are like the bomb.com, like I said. But I think we also need also be together as a unit too and focus in on our community yes i agree 100 percent. yeah so i think that is wonderful so y'all be sure to check out black detour you can and i can get into this later at the end of the show but yeah follow them on what platforms oh all platforms is the black detour so instagram facebook twitter you can follow us at the black detour Great, great, great. So, we can get moved right along with the show. I want to go into what I'm here for this week. And Jay, since you're being also like a co-host as well today, you can participate on what you're here for this week. What you're here for this week is basically anything that you are here for this week. It can be politics. It can be food. It can be the (laughs) sky is blue. Whatever you feel are here for and what makes you feel good as a human being, go ahead and speak it, my man. Okay. do you want to go first and display what you're here for? No, I'm going to let you go first. Ladies first. I'm going to let you go ahead. <laughs> oh, how chivalrous of you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I'm here for this week, since I've been out of commission for about two whole weeks, y'all pray for me. It's trying times. Like I said, I know people are like, well, you need to be consistent. Look, y'all, life happens. <laughs> Just let, let y'all know, life happens and life is real. But since I've been out of commission for two whole weeks, there's a lot of stuff that has been happening. One, I would like to say, I knew Paul Manafort's ass was about to go to jail. You all thought that I was wrong. I knew his ass was about to get charged, okay? You can't be 18 counts of tax fraud and not get charged for at least one. 
Yes, they threw out 10, but he got charged for eight. So I just find that interesting. I also find it hilariously funny that Michael Cohen pled guilty. And as soon as they started talking prison, his ass snitched. And I saw it coming. Some people are like, oh, he would never do that to the president. He would never do X, Y, Z. Yeah, okay, yeah. As soon as they talking about years in prison, oh, yeah, y'all ass snitching. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all ass is snitching. And I think the most interesting part about it is Trump is definitely (laughs) saying, I don't know these people. Like, these are people that he has had around his family that have done dirt with him. And now he's saying, whose mans is this? And I can't be mad at him. You're the president of the United States of America. And the whole fact of the matter is it looks bad. Even if you didn't collude with them, even if you didn't do the bad things with them, it just looks bad. And I'm not mad at him. I still think this is a shit show and a cluster F, but it's still kind of comedy. But what I'm actually here for this week are the primaries. If you all have been following me these last few weeks, you all know that I love myself a good primary. I love myself a good upset. And one of the primaries that happened this past week was the Florida primaries for governor. The fact that nobody saw this coming and this dude just came in and swept in and was like, I'm here, bitches. Yes. So just to give you all a little background, uh, the the Democratic governor nominee for governor is Andrew Gillum. He won the primaries for governor on Tuesday. He's a progressive mayor from Tallahassee, Florida, and he's backed by Bernie Sanders. His views are totally progressive progressive platform pledging his support for medicare for all legalizing marijuana debt-free coverage of college and police reform and bail reform it's just a lot of good stuff that he's doing for public welfare and public schools and the things to really take away from that win is honestly the shift in how we're viewing politics in this day and age. And what I mean by the shift is we're shifting our minds to honestly become more liberal, whether or not people are more conservative in thought or practice conservative ideologies. We definitely are moving towards a liberal stance of a whole. We're not going back to like the, well, some could argue that we're going back to the 1950s, but In all totality, we have people who are throwing their hats into the ring and saying that I'm, I don't like what's happening in the world today, so I want to change it. The thought of free college or free Medicare for all wasn't, wasn't possible or wasn't looked at or deemed possible, hell, 50, 60 years ago, let alone, hell, how long has Obama been out of office? Six years ago? So these ideas and ideologies are becoming more fluid, especially in as millennials start to grow and progress in society. Another thing to take away from is the whole 
Well, what 2018 in all totality is taking away from is people who are for Trump and people who are against Trump. That battle that you wanted back in 2016, you're about to get it in 2018. The progressive socialist versus the conservative friends. So I just think that it's interesting to see and I cannot wait to see how it turns out in November, to be perfectly honest with you. So that is something to really see. I love a good bloodbath political fight. I do. And honestly, ads make me giggle. I hope that somebody posts whoever is in Florida and on my timeline on social media. Please post your political ads. Please do. Send them to me. I welcome it. Thank you. It gives me something to do when I am bored because they are funny. Just saying. Another thing that I am here for this week is the shade from John McCain after death. You have to literally despise somebody to not invite them to your funeral. I find it funny. I do. I really do. Like, do you, Jay, do you have people that you cannot stand, like, in your whole life? Like, oh, I can't stand that person. I don't even want this person to come up to my funeral. No. Exactly. Like, damn. And it's not just one funeral. He just, <laughs> he's going to get invited to two funerals. And I find that hilarious. Like, and to make it even, like, more sweet, John McCain invited Obama to the funeral and to do his eulogy. I know that orange hot pocket is hot. I know he is. And I just find that so entertaining and the memes are funny and the media is probably blowing this way out of proportion and so much more out of proportion than what it is. And it's still funny because CNN is petty because they constantly will say his services in Arizona and they constantly will say Trump was not invited. Actually, in all news, uh, news networks, Trump was not invited and it's repeatedly being played across the screen and to make it sweeter, you know, George W. Bush and Barack Obama's giving the eulogies. I find it interesting. I find it funny. And I am here for the shade. Shady Pines, bitch. Shady Pines. <laughs> so, what are you here for, Jay? I know I've been talking for a hot minute. So, what are you here for? Well, I'm here for this week, the whole state of Michigan water system. Flint, Michigan still doesn't have water. It's been almost four, been over four years now. They haven't had water. And now, this week, it's been reported that the Detroit public school system has to shut down water supply in all public schools. I think it's 106, 107 public schools in the Detroit public school system. I have no water now in the public. They're not able to use their water because of they. It's been revealed through tests that of high lead, uh, you know, lead uh, levels. So that's what I'm here for this week. But that needs to change. I'm tired of you know Flint, Michigan, been a problem for past four years and now you know the detroit public school system is having a problem with their water so the whole state of michigan water system need to get together and also in flint i believe well this is up until i believe may i don't know it might have changed since then but i know in may they were still charging people for water bills that water they couldn't use oh hell no y'all got me <laughs> fucked up i want to pay a damn dime and we ain't yeah. got no clean fresh water y'all got me messed up yeah, 
they was charging people for uh, water that they couldn't use. But I know a lot of people, but you had to pay it because I know a lot of people saying that if you didn't pay the water bill, that they would put a lien on your house and they could take your house. So you had to pay it. Oh, hell no. Like I said, every guy, every damn senator, congresswoman, and man, Betsy DeVos fucking ass is about to hear about this shit. She won't do shit. But everybody's about to hear about some shit. I will make a post. Telling you, like I said, oh hell no! What I will not do is pay for some nasty ass water that I can't even drink. Yeah, nah, it's crazy. You can't take a bath with it, can't drink with it, can't cook with it, can't wash dishes with it. Everything has to be bottled water in Flint. Y'all got me fucked up. Oh God, y'all got me fucked up. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just like, what the fuck? But okay, okay, yeah, that is a uh, horrible and. We need to do something. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, what do we do? I it's just hard. Like it's just question. hard because when you got, even though in the Flint situation, they do have black people in leadership and, you know, in the government, local government there. But we know that those are just faces, not really running it. So it's kind of hard when black people who are getting affected by this the most are not empowered to help fix it. Really empowered. I mean, yes, their faces there, but we know they, they're not really behind the real situation to really get it done because it's not done yet. Obviously, as we've seen the last four years. And then now it's affecting Detroit. It's going to be, not saying it's the same problem, but it's just another problem in Detroit. So, yes. So that is what we're here for this week. You can let me know what you're here for this week. Email civildiligence at civildiligence at gmail.com. And yeah, so now we can move on to the meat of the conversation that I wanted to get into. As this is an election year and people are coming out in droves, honey, and showing out at these elections and primaries, I would like to have a discussion about political perception and voter turnout, specifically in the black community. As you all know, I made this show as a space to have a laid back conversation on what matters to the young people of today, especially black young people in retrospect to politics. So I would like to pose the question and you are more than welcome to chime in, Jay. Okay. Is of do you feel that politics is under talked or isn't really talked about in the black community and why we don't have a conversation or why we don't care about politics in the black community because at least I see that politics isn't talked about we have more conversations about relationship issues we have more conversations about sports entertainment music but we don't have a conversation about politics and i post this question on social media and to my surprise i got a lot more feedback than i thought i was going to get and i got different perspectives on it so i wanted to pose it to you is why do we not have the conversation about politics even though politics affect our everyday lives yeah so i think it's a couple of different reasons one i would say is education a lot of people are not educated on politics and why they should care about politics in this country. And the second reason I would say is because 
you know, if you do know a little bit about politics, you kind of think, well, it's a pile of tricks, right? You feel like for the black community throughout history, we never had, you know, a pro-black president, even though that one pastor said that a few weeks ago that said Trump was going to be the most pro-black president, but that's here nor there. But we never had a pro-black president. Even, no disrespect to President Obama, but even he wasn't a pro-black president. We never had a president who was just all in for the black community. So you had to take that into perspective of our, our cycle and our views of voting as a culture and as, as history. Because you look at history, it was a time we couldn't even vote. And if we did vote, we would get chased by dogs, we'd get run out the street. So a lot of people think, well, if, even if I do go vote, my vote doesn't matter. That the politician's not going to do nothing for us. They just come get our vote and leave. And if it, even if it's a black politician, he'll come and smile, kiss a baby. He'll be there in the community for that time of the election. But after it's over, he'll go back to his office. He won't come down there no more only for photo op. He won't really be there in our community. He won't change nothing. Nothing's going to change on my street. It's still the same thing. It's still the same problem. So a lot of people are fed up, I think, now. I think more people are becoming politically aware, but they're fed up of voting. They feel like voting is not going to change anything. They feel like, well, why do I need to vote? Because this politician is going to get in there and do his own thing anyway. We, black people are going to be at the bottom anyway. If you look at statistics, statistics will tell you, statistically, across the board, under every category that, that uh, is for success in America, black people are at the bottom. At the bottom of housing, at the bottom of education, at the bottom of everything, as a collective. So when you think about those numbers and you think about those statistics, a lot of people feel like politics it's just, like I said before, a pile of tricks. So that would be my answer to the question. But here's the thing. When you go out for a, a political office, is it just for the black community? Because America is a melting pot. It's just not white people, black people, and things of that nature. So when people tell, when people have the argument that, well, Barack Obama didn't do anything for the black community, could he do anything for the black community? Because that's the thing about it is... I mean, in my or, opinion, in my opinion, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Like, could he make the changes, affect the changes that you're looking at? And per se, what exactly do you want somebody to do for the black community that hasn't necessarily been attempted to like Barack Obama attempted with affordable health care affordable health care affects us prison reform affects us you can say so- that that's that's a valid argument I'm not I'm not arguing either way but I was just speaking for people who you know that's how they feel but I think when it comes to Obama a lot of people expected Obama to do more than he did. It's because a lot of times black people have been so marginalized for so long, they kind of looking for that black messiah in a sense. They're looking for that person to come help get us out of this situation that we've been systematically put in. But we have to realize that as, as a people that nobody is coming to save us. Like in this situation that we're in. No, no president can't do anything black, white, yellow, red. Because they're not going to do it. This country has not even apologized for slavery that they put us in for over 246 years. And then after that, the black codes and the, just, we can talk about it all day, what they don't put us through. So it's just, you have to consider that when people have this trauma put in their heart that they feel like, well, Obama didn't do enough or no politician did do enough. That, I'm just saying that's the reason why they feel like they shouldn't vote. I'm not saying Obama didn't, do, didn't try to do so, didn't try to do stuff, but they also point out things like, well, Obama gave Japanese reparations and black folks ain't never even got sniffy looking at getting money back. Not saying they should or should not, but that's what people say. And people feel like black people built this country on their back. And it haven't, it haven't even been acknowledged that they even did that from the government. 
it's never been acknowledged, it's never been apologized for. So I feel like a lot of that pain that people have, they feel they're looking at politicians supposed to be our leaders, quote unquote. And they just feel like over the years, we just keep voting for them and there's nothing happening. So people feel like voting is a waste of time. I'm not saying it is, but people, a lot of people feel that way. But I feel like people are becoming more politically aware and a lot of people, more people, I feel like, especially young millennials, are, are voting now and getting more into politics and wanting to have the conversation. So I feel like that's a positive. It is a positive, and I totally agree with you. Like I said, I'm not, like I said, don't think that I am like coming at you. I was just doing the devil's advocate because there is that that trauma in that retrospect. We are traumatized based off of the past because kale. The America was not made for us. We could have that conversation. America was not made for us. We were looked at as property. Mm-hmm. We were looked at as, like. Three fifths, three fourths is three fifths. The three fifth compromise, yes. And we were looked mm-hmm. at as three fifths of a human for so long, and to see that we had to fight our right to even for basic human rights. Yeah. For basic, you can even say, yeah. Because you can even say we really didn't get all our rights, all our rights to 1970, and you and people will say, oh, we still don't have all the rights. Yeah, they might be on paper. But we still don't have the rights to do everything that we want to do. And we're not treated the same as that. We we never got to that equality thing, which a lot of people wanted. We never got to that point. Yeah, we haven't. It's so you know, funny and interesting to see people argue and then to have the argument of, like, the terminology Black Lives Matter. And people diminish that and say all lives matter. Yes, mm-hmm. a human life matters. We get that. Honestly, if you are a human living human being on this earth, yes, you do matter. But hell, black people have been treated as such as we don't matter. And you can't argue and persuade me of anything to say that, oh, we've been treated just when we haven't. It's just because a lot of people, you know, they feel like, well, since it's a lot of black people on TV now, it's a lot of black people on entertainment, it's a lot of black people, you know, doing better than we ever did it before, which is not... Which is a lot to say when you look at the statistics, because as a collective, we're still doing the worst of all the people. But you would say as a whole, we're doing better than we ever did before. So that's a lot to say into that. Yes. <laughs> we're doing better than we did before. We're still at the bottom. Exactly. <laughs> and that's crap. <laughs> and yes, like I said, I mean, yes, we have, we are doing better than we have done in before because we have more opportunities. But at the same time, it's like... Still doing mm. As a whole, we still doing better. That's more individual-based, too. That's like everybody know individuals who are doing well. But as a whole, we're doing terrible. Exactly. I hate the argument that when some, I hear that, oh, we had a black president, so we shouldn't be mad. There's like, there's nothing that we shouldn't be able to do. And to a degree, I can see that argument. Like, yes, we had the opportunity to be the president of the United States. And like 50 years ago, that wasn't even thought of. But at the same time, and I would, I also would like to argue with people who said that Barack Obama didn't do enough. It's also, too, like you go back to, it's only one man. He is only one man. Yeah. And He's not the black messiah. He's not the... It's nobody going to come. And that's what I feel like we got to stop looking for. We're looking for that Martin Luther King figure again. That time has passed. Rest in peace to Martin Luther King, but he was gone. It's not going to come another person on Malcolm X. It's not going to be a person to that level anymore because the time is just over with. The black community, it's just not, that's not how it is anymore. So it's not one person that's going to come and change everything. It's going to be a collective of people coming together. And that's what's going to change something. But the funny so. thing about it is 
Martin Luther King didn't do everything on his own. No, nah, he didn't. But but that's the figure that, that, you know, the white media and the white America build up. You know, they pushed him up. That's why you always hear that I have a dream speech. You don't hear his, his latest speeches, what he really got killed for. You hear about the Martin Luther King that, oh, I have a dream that one day, you know, that, that speech. But you don't hear his later speeches when he became a little more aware and, and figured out some things that he was integrating his people into a burning house. A lot of people don't speak on that. Of course not, because a lot of people like to picture like that nonviolent side and things of that nature. I actually did my thesis statement on uh, nonviolence and violent social movements and I use civil rights movement the anti-apartheid movement and the black lives matter movement and what is more effective for people and people love to come up with that notion and the idea that nonviolence is what moves them and that's what people resonate with but at the same time hell all three movements had that radical idea as well because mm-hmm. people are just sick and tired of the shit Oh, yeah, of course, because you can't keep beating on the people, beating on the people so long, one day somebody's going to rise up. Because as you've seen, it's always been rising, it's always been people coming together. Now, now it seemed like for a while it was out of the mainstream media because it wasn't on TV. Because now you see more on TV because you see the police killings. And that's the same thing that happened in the civil rights movement when you look back to how they were getting brutalized in the South, getting run by hoses, chased by dogs, by police, getting beat up for just protesting. But that's the same thing you see now with the police brutality that kind of started off the new movement of black empowerment and just trying to uplift black people, the people are more, you know, noticeable, noticing about, you know, than the past that maybe in 2000 and 2000, you know, 2000, people wouldn't really, it wasn't a mainstream conversation. Not saying people wasn't working for it, but it wasn't a mainstream conversation. I will say that too. And then also too, the movement of technology also helped that. Also helped the word Mm -hmm. get out there because you really didn't hear about police brutality that much until Rodney when it got recorded but it's been happening and I listened to an interview that Ice Cube shared earlier on in the earlier decades saying that this stuff has been happening the only difference between Rodney King is it got recorded Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, Sandra Bland all of these people, all of this has been an issue it's just that it just got publicized oh yes of course because you can go back to the day we was free. The day they let us free from off the plantation. <laughs> we was getting brutalized by the, what they called the patrols at that time. So it's always been, we always been brutalized by the police. This is, not, this is nothing new. It's just now we got, we got something in our pockets that we can take with us when we walk, we walk around, you know, driving and we going around places so we can record certain things. And we know also, even if we do record ourselves getting killed or, or somebody records getting killed, it doesn't matter because they still get off. So they thought you did. They thought you had a gun, or they thought you was aggressive, or you didn't. You didn't comply well enough for their eyes. So they had to shoot you. So they had. You had to look at that and see how we are being treated in this country. And I feel like some some people don't want to, you know, actually say that because parts of the country is great. It's a great country in parts of it, but for a black person in the country, you don't look. You don't feel too great most of the time because you feel like you're marginalized. You feel like you're at the bottom of everything. Anytime you come in a position, you feel like a lot of times, not everybody, but a lot of times you feel like you come into the room, you feel like I got to work 50 times for it. I got to prove to them that I'm better than this black skin because this black skin is looked up as negative and wrong and nasty and dirty. Right. And I also think that America is a beautiful idea. I also watched another interview with Trevor Noah uh, 
which is probably Gwen, like I said, my, my crush, my TV crush. <laughs> like I said, I love that African man. But, um... You need a moment? You need a moment? You okay? <laughs> no, but I will also say that if I ever get a chance to meet Trevor Noah, I may go, like, all the way ballistic. Like, oh, uh, my ex... <laughs> was African and I said that I hope you know if I ever meet Trevor Noah this I may leave you for him oh <laughs> it was oh. serious oh. like nobody knew how much I love Trevor Noah but him like he knew like it's over with but neither here nor there so I was looking at an interview with Trevor Noah and he was saying that America is a beautiful idea and it is. It's a beautiful idea. You could come together. You have the American dream. You could come here, make something of yourself, make a good living, provide for your family, and, like, be great. And I, with no worries. And, like I said, it's an immigrant country. And I hope everybody knows that this country started off for immigrants like based off of immigrants the only people that we cannot say are immigrants are the people who were here before like at first mm-hmm. like that's the thing about it but America has developed into a beautiful idea but our implementation is trash it's trash yeah especially to black folks you know it's just it's never you know it's never been a time where we was able to really I guess you could say reconstruction era I guess that was like the best, and that's sad to say, but like maybe Reconstruction Era was one of the good times, I guess. It really wasn't a good time, but I guess better time. And that, even then, that wasn't yeah, even necessarily then wasn't that good, like but, living the dream because, yeah. I mean, you still had people who thought we were trash based off of slavery. And you can look at it then is we still wasn't getting health care. Like after we weren't slaves anymore we were poor deadbeat poor like the the little medical treatment that we got we don't have anymore because mass is gone like we now we have to find lodging now we have to find this and then shortly after uh the reconstruction era i mean jim crow happened so you even skipped over black hole don't forget about black hole yes okay (laughs) we can get into that (laughs) Oh, about black holes wasn't good to nobody. <laughs> yes, they wasn't. They wasn't. And it's a real thing because a lot of people don't even know what black holes is because it's not taught in the school system. The public so, school go into it a little bit for the people who don't know because I'm not actually well versed in it either. So I, let, I'm not gonna say I'm well versed. I ain't gonna sound well versed. Don't let me. I know about it, but I, I I'm gonna sound well versed in it. But basically, black holes was. Some code set up to specifically for black people, kind of like laws, I guess you would say, but specifically for black people in the South at the time after slavery. So it was kind of after Reconstruction era ended. So they 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 took troops out of the you know out of the South who was protecting the slaves from you know plantation owners who were still upset or white people who were just upset, mad about the war, different things like that. they took them out of the South. So when they took them out, these black holes you know became a thing. And I know one of the black holes was a big thing was if you was walking on the street and you looked a white man in the eyes, you can go to prison for a certain amount of time. And it was like maximum sentence too. And it wasn't like you was going to a jury and you was, nah, it was just you going to jail right after that. Like, I'm going to rest and I'm going to the jail to work. So basically you just became a, a slave again. People don't know about that also that, you know, the prison system was even started from that point because we was working in prison. You know, it wasn't like you was going to prison just to hang out. You was, you was going to prison to work. But that was the whole point. 
So that was some of the, you know, the laws that they stood up. And also another law was, you know, you couldn't you couldn't live next to any white people, obviously, unless, you know, that was your master, or, you know. So you couldn't even get housing. If the white person lived on that street or that block that you were, you couldn't live there. So you couldn't, you, you basically couldn't really interact with white people at all, other than working for them or being a slave, basically a slave, because they still wasn't going to pay you. Because even people who stayed on at, at plantations after slavery was over, they wasn't paid at that time. They were just given housing and food. So basically, it's still a slave. Basically. So a lot of people don't really know about those things because, like I said, it's not taught in the public school system. And, it, and yes, the information is on the internet, but if you're not a person who's just going out there searching for the information, it's not going to come to you, your front door. You know, so we had to put those information out to people so they can actually know that, no, it wasn't just we went from a lot of people really believe this is taught in school. We went from slavery to civil rights movement and it wasn't like that. Oh, no, it was a long journey before we got to that. And I didn't know that people didn't believe that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we went from slavery and now we're fighting for our civil rights. Uh, No, because for a hundred years, it was a hundred years. It was actually a a good time before we got to that point, because a lot of people wanted to fight for, you know, civil rights before then, because you could look at Marcus Garvey. He tried and certain people tried, but it just didn't work out for him well because Nat Turner. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Nat, oh, you can say, well, Nat Turner tried, but, yeah, so a lot of people tried, just didn't really work out, so the 1950s going into 1960s, really, the first time we had, a, like, an actual movie that had some momentum going, and you got to think that, too, it was a different time anyway, because think about any activist now that can get invited to the president to actually talk to the president about policy, No, and for no race, nobody is getting that invite anymore, but you got to think of the time that that was going on. Dr. Martin Luther King and other leaders was able to actually get invited to the White House and talk to the president and have his number to talk to him on the phone at times. So that that would never happen today. So you got to take that into you know perspective. This is true. This is very true. Because <laughs> no activist from no race, white, black, yellow, red, is, is getting, getting invited to the White House to talk to the president about issues. Maybe for Trump as a photo op, but that's it. You ain't going to really, you know, <laughs> other than that, because he might do it for a photo op, but other than that, that's not happening. Oh, well, hell, it ain't happening for Trump era. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> not saying somebody would go, but I'm saying he might invite them. That's why I say maybe he might invite them. He, just, he, he might do it for the photo op, not for, you know, Trump, you know. Child, bye. Like I said, Trump ain't trying to invite nobody, uh, activists to say, you know what, you doing some poor, piss-ass job of social inju- uh, injustice in America. Hell no, because that makes him look bad. He is very me by me. <laughs> and oh, if you're true. not... If you're not me, find me. If you're not like the black person that loves him or the white person that loves him, you trash. You of trash. Course, of course, he will bring the right person in, just like he brings the right people in. You know, the black he'll bring. He wouldn't bring it to anybody. I ain't saying that, but I'm just saying maybe somebody who has the face. And of course, we we know that person might just be like I said for photo ops. It might not be for actual, you know, for making change. But that's just something you have to look at. Yes, has yeah, the like, nerve to say he's pro black. Yeah, he did say that. He did. He did. But he, but he, he been talking that way, and he, you know, he probably didn't pay for that. So, I did. You know, uh, I seriously want to know how much he got paid. <laughs> Moving on and going back to the question at hand. So, some people could argue that the reason why uh politics is not really talked about into the black community is necessarily because we don't demand for the politics to be. We don't demand for our our politics. We don't demand for a seat at the table. Mm. And I think, do you believe that black people also have a hand on the why we don't care about politics? 
I mean, yes, of course. I mean, we haven't, we've been so, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to blame black people for their own social ingenuity. Like, they haven't social ingenuity themselves. So people, that society has done that to us. You know, we haven't, we haven't built, basically this country built black people. They even came up with the word black people. You know, you got to think that, because they actually built, we wasn't, black people is not a real, it's a social construct. It's not real, right? So. It's hard to blame black people for their actions, but if you want to say why we're not into politics, it's because in our community, that's not some of the things that's glorified. That's not some of the things that mainstream, I guess you would say, of a black person, is that, that's not their daily conversation. Even though with Trump being in office, it has highlighted it more, and I think more people are talking about it because it's just, it's just in your face more. So like the stuff he says, the stuff he does, the policies, you know, they get approved, it's like, okay, now it's, it's really, it feel, I feel it now. Then in the sense of before, you don't feel as connected to the politics, even though it does affect you, but you might not always feel connected to it and feel like it's actually at your front door. And it but is. Like I, but like, like I said, it's hard for a lot of people to understand that because, like I said, we've been socially engineered to think this way. And a lot of people don't know, don't understand that, that way of thinking that you have to break those barriers down in your own mind. And that's when it comes back, like I said before, education. Education is really the key. And not just public education, but just the education you get from knowledge that you learn. Along the way, because I definitely will say that although I learned about politics in school and it was my major in college, I will definitely say that more I've gained more information and more knowledge of it outside of it by watching the news, mm-hmm. by having conversations, by having mm-hmm. these conversation starters, by talking to different people of different backgrounds, uh, different races, different religions. It's one of those things where you gain those knowledge and then based off that conversation, I'll go and do my own research. Mm-hmm. And I know like a lot of millennials do not like to do research. I have noticed that, that they don't do research and it's like why these things are about you and especially now you have access to it more access to it than you had like years ago and when people tell me that you know we don't have access or we have been systematically like constructed to think this way as black people as black millennials as millennials in general i'm like but when do we get out of that mindset to want better? I know when I was posing this question over on the internet that people were like, we, some of us will blame, our, like some people were blaming ourselves. And then one that was really interesting. One person kind of got on me for even asking the question, because what does that do? And although I was a little hot, I'm like, well, why not have the conversation? Like what the, what, what's the problem with having the conversation? One of the things that he brought up is voting isn't the end all be all. And although I agree with that, voting isn't the end all be all, but at the same time, we don't even come to vote. And that's the most simplest thing that we could do to, for political, to practice your own political politics and Mm -hmm. like you said before people believe that oh our vote won't change then demand that seat at a table i'm that person that's like if i don't want if i don't like something then i'll change it and you can't tell me no you can't tell me that oh i then this won't matter that me protesting that me putting in my vote me doing this 
will be a no because what people fail to realize politics is more than just a federal level more than just the president of the united states oh, it's yeah. also it's also your local level your alderman mm. so flip michigan like i said or people who like i said doesn't have water vote them vote people out you can say you have yeah. that change for a vote to have enter somebody in that's going to give a damn and to make those changes you can't tell me that oh the vote doesn't matter because you can get into the whole electoral college system on the federal level but when you're talking about state and local elections that's popular vote it is but it's also about money too and that's why a lot of people applaud the brother out of florida that you mentioned earlier that he's running you know with no you know uh corporate backing right because when it usually when you when you're not corporate backed and you're not you know you're not getting donations from certain corporations and businesses, you won't be able to run a, a large campaign in a state like Florida or Texas or a big state because you won't, you won't win. You can't, you could try to win on the grassroots movement, but you just won't win because you don't have the dollars behind you. So unfortunately, politics is about, like you said, popular voting, getting people to vote, but especially when you're in these larger states, it's sometimes it feels discouraging to a lot of people because it's like, yeah, I can go for this candidate. I want him to win, but he probably not going to win. A lot of people, they got, got a kind of defeatist mindset Especially because you've been beat up in life, your personal life, you've been beat up in certain situations, beat up for your race, you've been beat up every in school, you've been, you know, just get, your soul gets down sometimes. And so you just feel like, well, I mean, I ain't going to do it. I got to focus on me. I got to, you know, so a lot of times that's when it comes to. And that's why I feel like what we got to do is go go to those people and start teaching and talking and having conversations like, like we have in this one right now. But also going to reach people. If, if we have a problem where, like you said, you have a problem with what's going on, you have to go make the change. You can't wait for the change, like you said. So you have to go out to the people and talk to them and tell them about the importance of voting and tell them about that. But a lot of people don't do that. They just say, well, you know, you should be doing this, but, you know, you just ain't going to do it. And then they wonder why they don't do it. (laughs) So we got to go to the people. Right. And I think a lot of it is rallying up because, you know, it's having community organizations, having those things set in place in the community where we have voting registration or we're going door to door, we're setting up little programs for people to know Mm. the importance of voting or the importance of politics in general. Because I know point blank example is people, young people didn't vote in the last governor election in Illinois. Okay, so background on Illinois, Illinois was about to be a damn junk state because we didn't have a fucking budget. Because ain't nobody passed a damn budget and when i say a junk state like people were almost about to lose like credit accredited status for the university of illinois that's how bad that it got back in 20 i want to say 2016 2017 Mm -hmm. it was bad so and a lot of people i just looked at sideways because oh now you're bitching and moaning about this but you didn't vote students are rallying up about oh my benefits are about to get cut off my map grant is about to get cut off for college but you were sitting in your dorm room and it was one of these people that i talked to about i'm like you sitting up here at the capitol saying give us our rights give us our money give it to us now but you was the same dude in the dorm room saying hey are you about to go vote fuck the elections well hell damn now you're getting what you're getting and it's like again i get like politicians are just are human beings like you and i and but these are politicians these are people who make decisions on our behalf 
I'm a taxpaying citizen in fucking America, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, y'all gonna hear my voice, whether or not I am doing a podcast on political politics, whether or not I am giving back to my community on educating them, whether I'm just doing something on that nature, or even voting. And people are like, that's so lazy. And I'm like, but it's powerful if you do. And if you believe in the concept of voting, it is so powerful because you're right. People definitely don't believe that they can make a change based off of one vote. Mm -hmm. But as we have discussed and as I have seen, it's a power in numbers. If one person has a notion and you talk to your homie that has that same notion, then you talk to your na- your neighbor, Sally Sue, who has the same notion, then you talk to Gertrude that got the same notion, you could come together and you can make a movement. And it bothers me when people say, I can't do this. I don't have the power. There's powers in numbers and there's power in unity. And that's one thing that irritates me when I have a conversation about with other African Americans and black people when they say that we don't have power we're just stuck and I'm like but we keep ourselves stuck you are an educated brother just like me and you or or sister you are educated so you have that notion you have that idea it was people who were sick and tired of being sick and tired in the 1950s to start a revolution to have simple rights just to think now fast forward 50 to 60 years today we have so much more opportunities than our ancestors did why don't we start doing it it's just like i feel like that's true that's true we do have more opportunities we do have more you know you know stuff opportunities that we can go to and we can you know try to get involved in but i will say this though when it comes to voting i feel like voting is very important and we need to vote but also, we need to do this work in the community. And yes, you can tell people about voting, but some people ain't got nothing to eat. Some people can't find a job. You, so it got to be both. It has to be, you know, we help you, you know, want to get you to vote, want to get you to do this, but we also trying to get you to become a better person as a human being, as a black person, to look out for each other. And a lot of times, we want to come and tell them to vote and do this, but then if they don't vote, or if they don't do what we like, we don't want nothing to do with them. And it's not really just about voting. It's about helping them to become a better person because everybody got to remember that you was you wasn't always the person that you are today. So you gotta take that into consideration. And everybody didn't grow up with the same family. Cause you can say, Well, I always was this way. Well, you didn't they didn't grow up in the same family you did. They wasn't privy to the same knowledge and information you might have got at a younger age. They probably didn't know nothing about none of this. But as an adult, they don't have the same mindset that you would have. So we gotta come and people meet them where they at and not where we want them to be. And I feel like a lot of times we always telling people, you need to do this, you need to do this, but we're not helping them where they at. Because right now they focus on I ain't got nothing to eat. I don't have, you know, shoes for my baby. I need this and that. So we got to start helping people where they at instead of just looking at them like, you need to do this. You know, that's my two cents. And that is fair because another person also said that, hell, one of the reasons why we don't talk about politics is because we have other issues to talk about. And I get that. I do. But at the same time, navigating that because it does start with our communities and it does start more than just voting we have to give back to our communities we have to look into other organizations and movements to like get yeah. people especially off of welfare yeah because like, a lot of people this is from what i see a lot of people who do get educated who do be you know better get master degree get good jobs get this and that the first thing they do is run away from the hood and i'm not saying you have to live there but i'm saying that you if you from an area 
and from you that you supposedly love. You might even have a tattoo on your body somewhere. But you won't even go back and give back. And not saying it's money all the time. Give your time. Give your effort. Give your love. Just show some love to some people in the community. Because a lot of people who are stuck in those communities don't have a lot of love. They don't feel a lot of love all the time. They feel negative. Some coming at them all the time. It's all negativity. So we, and it's not just the, the job of the celebrities or the people who read to, who, who come back. It's the people who just regular middle class or even lower the middle class. Just regular people who working hard, and just, so they can see that example too. That you don't just have to be a celebrity in life. You don't have to play basketball, play football, be on TV, be on the radio. You can be a regular citizen, work a job, and be okay. And you can actually get back to your community and look back. So we can start teaching our kids that it's important to get back to your community, not just teaching them get out the hood, get out the hood, get out the hood, but also get back to the hood. Not necessarily saying you gotta live there. No, that's not a bad thing because white folks is buying up the hood now and justifying it. And y'all complaining about that. So you you might have to think about that too, but you you gotta you gotta you gotta think about that when you say, well, you know what, I got successful, I'm educated, I'm this and that. But yeah, you, you might you might be all those things, but your community is suffering. As a whole, you suffering. You can say you're doing good, you got a bins, you're doing your whatever you're doing, but your community is terrible right now. So you don't care about your people, you just care about yourself. And that's what the reality. Some people, if that's how they feel, they need to come out and say that and be like, I only care about myself. And my family, I don't care about nobody else. And so we can move you out the way. We can focus on who we need to focus on. Exactly. <laughs> I think America as a whole has that me find me. We have that I care about myself. Like I said, until yeah. something detrimental happens, then it's like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, God, <laughs> we need somebody. you and stuff like that. So you need to go from me because you ain't got no life insurance. Your grandma didn't have life insurance. She died and now you need the whole community to help bury your grandma. But exactly. now you want to, you know, now you want to, what happened to that good job you had? You moved on to the suburbs. You better than us, right? You done moved on. You good. Right, you Gucci, man. <laughs> you good, man. You moved to the suburbs. You, you, you far, you four or five minutes away. You don't come back here only for barbecue. Right. <laughs> for a good time. <laughs> you and come to hang out. You, you drive back on the highway to never be seen again. Until exactly, until the next, until the next little cookout come. And... Yeah. It's funny because I said the same thing. Like when during Hurricane Harvey, like when we had all these hurricanes happening and people were like congratulating Beyonce on like giving back to Houston, I was like, that was what she was supposed to do. <laughs> like yeah. I wasn't impressed. I'm like, you say that you Houston till you die, right? Okay. Yeah. You should, okay. I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. Give out plates to people, give out money to people, give your time to people. That's your city. That's who made you. Like, you are Beyonce. You could give back to your community. Like, I wasn't impressed with people. Like, you see, she was like, oh, she gave, she gave back. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, Beyonce. I'm like, but that's what she was supposed to do. If she didn't do that, I would have been disappointed. <laughs> it's, just, it's just hard for me to put all the, you know, not saying celebrities shouldn't give back, but putting it all on celebrities. Because at the end of the day, not Beyonce necessarily, but celebrities, a lot of celebrities, their money is not in the black community. When you become so big, you become, you know, all all across every race. So a lot of times they fearful, I think, sometimes to do certain things, not just giving back, they'll do that, but just doing certain things or speaking up certain things in the black community. That's why I always feel like it come back to the common people, the people who, who get yeah, 70000 yeah. and less. Yeah, they're just a regular person because you have power too. And a lot of people feel like, well, I don't have the cashier, I don't have the charisma, I don't have the education. Well, it don't have to be about that. You don't have to have all that to go to a little kid and be like, hey, buddy, I love you. You might not have a father in your life. Your mother might be on drugs, but I still care about you, buddy. It's okay. I'm here my number. You could call me. 
And that, that might only be one child, but that's making a difference in that one child. And a lot of people don't think about how one person can make a difference. I know a lot of people in my life, one person made a difference to me. Now, I might didn't change at that time, but later on, that message came back in my mind. So it's significant. So I feel like we should all do that. Not saying you have to be an activist or you have to go back and start an organization, but you have to, I feel like it's everybody's common decency, especially if you love black people, to get back in any way you can. It don't have to be monetary all the time. It doesn't have to be, you know, you spend all this lives of money. But it's just your time and your love that can go a long way. I'm sorry if I went on the rant. <laughs> no, 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 no. You good because, I mean, it's important to know. And we've been in here for a hot little minute. I know when I post this, people going to be like, an hour? God damn. What y'all got to possibly talk about for an hour? <laughs> but it was it's good conversations to have. And you are right. Like I say, it it doesn't have to be something on a grandiose scale. It could be just as simple as telling a kid, hey, I'm with you, my brother. I'm with you, my sister. You can call on me. And that's the reason why, although me and kids, uh, me, hmm, I have a love-hate relationship with kids now. Like I said, I mean, uh, oh, Jesus. Mm, mm, especially kids coming up in this day and age. But at the end of the day, all of my volunteer activities are with children. Okay. So you like so, kids. So you like them. They like me. <laughs> <laughs> so you like kids. You love them. You actually love them. That's what it is. You love them. I'm <laughs> but all, all of my, all of my uh, volunteer activities, because I volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters. I volunteer with the Urban League. I volunteer with uh, 4-H Extension. And it's, it's a, gratify, a gratifying feeling because at the end of the day, this is the next generation of kids. And I truly do believe that if we can start them young, they have a better chance for the future. That's like if you educate them and you gravitate towards them young and let them oh, know yeah. that can keep them out of juvenile justice. They can that can keep them out of Department of Corrections. Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of people got to realize because even if you come from a good background, everybody has some help. Nobody did it by themselves. I know a lot of people like to, you know, that's the big thing. Now, self-made, did it by myself, came up by myself. I got two degrees by myself. Nobody helped me. Nobody believed in me. But that's not the case. Everybody has some type of help along the way. This will get into a whole nother conversation, a whole nother hour talking into that. But um, I will try to wrap this up. Thank you so much for being here on today. I think the conversation was nice and the conversation is needed. And anytime that you just want to talk on a podcast, Silver Diligence welcomes you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. No problem. As always, people, I like to give you all the question, why do you feel that politics is underrated in the um, black community? And also, too, I know I asked a question, but what can we do to uplift that and to make it more relevant in the black community? So tell me your thoughts on civildiligence at gmail.com. You can follow Civil Diligence on Instagram and if you are here and you fucks with the kid, I love you. I do. I truly do. JD, want to holler at your social media for the people? Oh, yeah. So you can follow the Black Detour at T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K-D-E-T-O-U-R. And on any social media platform, you can also visit us at theblackdetour.com. So thank you so much, guys. And until next time. Bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing, bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around.
Shout out to them people. people.